Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to worship on this beautiful Sunday morning. Let's prepare our hearts and minds to worship God as we listen now to the prelude. Let's join together now in reciting the call to worship that's printed in the bulletin. As people of faith, we have come to worship the Lord of our lives. We come to make this world a better place. We come because we want to be good role models for our children. Some of us come to church because it's a habit, and we all come as we are. In our worship, let us catch a glimpse of what we might be. As we prepare to sing the first hymn, Rejoice Ye Prayer and Heart, it is actually the second hymn in the back of the bulletin.
And let's pray. Holy God, we come here today because you promise us that in Jesus Christ, by your Holy Spirit, you will grant us joy that we might rejoice in response to your grace and your mercy and your healing touch. Yet still many of us come here today with questions, with doubts, with pains, with, with anger, with all sorts of things that keep us from a place of rejoicing. So Holy God, meet us where we are, wherever we are, and lift us to a place where we can hear your promise that indeed joy has come into this world as we come closer to the season of Advent and the season of birth of the Nativity of Christ, we pray that you will meet us today, right now, and give us a sense of rebirth and a renewal and hope in our lives. Whether we're now in a high place or a low place or somewhere in the middle, God, guide us forward as your beloved children. And be with us now by the power of your Holy Spirit as we enter a time of silent prayer. Out of the silence, God's people say together, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together now the prayer of preparation and confession that's printed here in the bulletin. God of great and small, we confess that we succumb to desires for success on the world's terms. We begin to think that biggest, strongest, most popular, and richest is best. In our race to get ahead, we trample on people and principles and leave our children behind. Help us to remember your concern for the smallest and weakest, the outsiders and those who are poor. Help us slow down and listen to your children. Listen to your hearts. Listen for your word. Remind us that being first and fastest isn't most important. Guide us to serve others, especially the children, who are being left behind. Amen. the good news of today, every day of your life, every season of your life, is that God in Jesus Christ reaches out to promise you, to reveal to you that you are beloved. You are set free to be the person you were meant to be. You're forgiven. And God also promises to be with you by God's Spirit wherever you go in life. So receive that good news. Live it out in your lives and be at peace. Amen. Let's stand and greet those that are around us. We welcome you to worship today. If you are seated on the inside aisle, if you'll take the pew pad right in front of you, sign yourself in and pass it on down. If you're a visitor, a special welcome to you. There's a place there on the pad where you can give us your contact information as well. If you turn to the color page in your bulletins, those are our announcement highlights this week. Uh, the big one is that the, the Harvest Dinner is coming up on Thursday night. 
Great opportunity to meet other people in the church, to have a wonderful fellowship dinner. Please sign up today afterwards if you want to go to that. There's an announcement there about the uh, Faith in Action program. Next Sunday after church, there will be a forum on climate challenge. And all those that are interested in learning more about the issue of global warming, we invite you to come and to participate following service next week. A class uh, that Don will be teaching in November on the Bible is listed there. And then the pledge campaign. Everyone should have received a pledge card by now in the mail. If you have not, they are in the pews. They're at the back, and there's a table outside with two friendly people standing there. Um, and you can talk to them and pick up your pledge card. Please fill this out, send it in as well. There's also an announcement about the fact that this worship service is broadcast live. Welcome those of you that are watching online, and also available on the website throughout the week. So the update on our family of Afghan refugees, the Fosley family, they are here, they're doing well. They've, we've gotten them into a condo in San Leandro. It's a wonderful deal. We got a good break on the rent there. And so we're in the process of these five kids getting them to go to doctors because to, to be able to go to school, they have to have a clearance, a medical clearance. We're also trying to get a job for Mahmoud. I took him to a job fair uh, this week and he's gonna be applying for different jobs, but he, he doesn't drive yet, so he needs, so what we really need are some people to help out with transportation. If you could drive and to be a part of that, also some tutoring, but uh, just taking people to appointments. If you can do that, uh, is Chris Monty here today? Or, he's not, but Susan is. Susan, raise your hand, okay? Susan is back there and she'll be out at the table. Uh, you can talk to her uh, if you're interested in helping out. This will be a, a tremendous help for us as well. Uh, last spring, I uh, went to a big party. Uh, Weston and Lisa Settlemeyer had it at their house. It was for all of the people who, the adults who'd gone to Mexico and the parents. And at that party, Weston talked a little bit about what the church meant to him. He is a relatively new member. And uh, I was very touched by it. And so I asked him to share those thoughts with you today. So Weston. Thank you, Bill. Um, as Bill mentioned, uh, I've been a participant in the Amor trip to Mexico, building homes for the last several years. And after the trip, we like to get everybody together and have a party to celebrate the accomplishments that we've done for the people down in Mexico. And um, the first time I met Bill was at one of these parties, and I was not yet a participant of the trip. And I listened to him speak, and I have to tell you, I was just really inspired. And I, did, I grew up in Piedmont, and I, didn't, I knew the church was here, but I, I was never really introduced to the church. And I spoke with Bill afterwards, and I said, Bill, I was really inspired by what you said, and I'll be at church tomorrow. And uh, we both had a glass of wine in our hand, and he's like, uh-huh, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> so sure enough, I came in the next day, and hopefully uh, Bill was pleasantly surprised. Um, and I have to tell you, I was just as inspired in church that day as I was that evening, and uh, I continue to get more inspired every day. So um, from there, I, I started coming with my wife, and then it's become a ritual for me and my mother to spend a quality hour together every Sunday. So uh, that to me is truly a gift, and I would not have that without the church. So I really feel blessed for that. Um, that being said, uh, it's, it's because of all of us that this church exists. Uh, Bill took some time to explain some of the nuances of running a, this organization, and 
Uh, there's a lot of challenges, much of which um, are being solved by many of the people in this room. So I want to first and foremost just say thank you to everybody for your generosity and your time, your spirit, and the critical donations that are so important to keep this institution financially solvent. In addition, I think it's really important to acknowledge there's 260 members of the church, and I would encourage everybody to try and get at least one new member to join this year. If we can increase the amount of membership, that's what's going to be required for the sustainability of this church. So I'd highly encourage people to be bold and to try and find new members to also enjoy this fine institution that we've been part of. Um, I would say for me, when I donate to the church, I feel like it's, it's a gift for me, and I hope everyone feels the same. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Weston. Uh, before I uh, pray, I just wanted to tag on to the announcement about the class I'll be teaching in November. I've had people ask me, can I come to this class about what does the Bible mean if I have never studied the Bible? And my answer is yes. Can I come to this class if I've studied a lot about the Bible? My answer is yes. Anybody can come to the class three weeks and uh, you're all welcome to come no matter where you are in understanding scripture. We're gonna try together to come to some understanding uh, as a group. So let's continue now in prayer. Loving God, we have come to be with you this morning, to be with each person here, with brothers and sisters throughout the world and throughout the ages, to worship you, to come into your presence in the houses of worship, in this house of worship. So let us be assured that you are with us already in spirit and in truth and in love and in grace. Make us aware of the blessings and the gifts we've received from you for you've called us to be its stewards of everything that you've given to us, including this community. Speak to us your word because you've called us to be witnesses to the truth of your word of love and of grace. Show us your body in some way, for you have made us all to be members of your body together. Let the working of your power be seen among us, God, that our works and our lives might declare your presence to all, we need, we meet, all the people we might meet as well as people we may never meet. Loving Creator, as we awaken to this new day, to the radiance of your sun shining down, Open our eyes to the wonders that surround us. Fill us with a sense of awe for the natural world of which we are a part. Move us to celebrate the gradual changing of the seasons, which reminds us of the gradual movement of time in our own lives. Sometimes we find ourselves in sunlight, sometimes in shadow. Sometimes the skies are clear and bright. Sometimes the wind howls and the storm clouds gather. But at all times, God, you are right here with us. So give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to feel your presence at this very moment and at every moment of our lives. Gracious and merciful, God, with so much pain and hatred and suffering and dislocation in our world, there are indeed so many who need to experience your grace and mercy right now. There are people in this sanctuary 
people outside who are in desperate need for healing, for peace, for sustenance, for hope. So fill their needs, God. We pray especially for people suffering so much today in northern Syria and Kurdistan, and for people in Japan who are suffering through the effects of the typhoon Hagibis, and also for our neighbors not so near but near in many ways to us in Los Angeles who are dealing with fires. We also remember that this weekend uh, we think about the arrival of Europeans to this place that they called the New World. We also remember the people who were already here, who for them, they had lived here for millennia beforehand. And so we lift up our indigenous brothers and sisters in this hemisphere who live from Tierra del Fuego all the way to the north of Canada. We pray you bless Native Americans and that you will give them hope and healing and wholeness as they live together as our brothers and sisters. And in a moment of silence, God, we lift up for for your care and your mercy and your healing touch, all those for whom we have special concern this morning. Almighty, all-powerful God, refresh and enliven us this day to be your people, to do your will, to love one another, and to establish your realm of peace and justice as best we can, all in the name of Jesus, who teaches us to pray together with one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Oh 
to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. If you cannot sing like angels, if you cannot preach like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus and say he died for This is the fifth and final part of our series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And uh, just to backtrack a little bit, in case some of you weren't here the first couple of weeks, uh, Paul went to the city of Ephesus, a big thriving seaport, and he stayed there three years, which is longer than he ever stayed anywhere. And after he got kicked out of the synagogue, he rented a hall and he taught there every day and people would come to listen to him. So the church, he built up quite a big church in Ephesus, and then he went on to other places. And then 10 years later, he's in jail in Rome. He's waiting his trial. And he thinks back of uh, those people in Ephesus, and he writes this letter to them. And in the beginning of the letter, he reminds them of the great gift of grace, that we're saved not by our own works, but we're saved by grace through faith. And then toward the end of the letter, the part that we're going to read, he gives them just such good practical advice on how to be a Christian, what it means to be a, a real Christian. And that's the section that we're going to read here today from chapter 4. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the cunning of men, by their craftiness in deceitful wiles. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied, when each part is working properly, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. 
We'll save the Matthew passage for extra credit reading later on, okay? You can read that. I was overly ambitious thinking we would get to that. This passage basically says this. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth, and to tell it in love. To grow up, know the truth, and to tell it in love. That's what he's saying that we need to do. And the problem with this text is not that we don't understand it. We do. It's just hard to do. It's hard to grow up. Hard to be a mature person. You've probably heard the story of the father who called out to his son in the morning, time to get out of bed, time to go to school. The son said, I'm not going to school. I'm not going for three reasons. Nobody likes me. Nobody listens to me. Nobody cares about me. Father says, you got to go to school. you got to go for three reasons. They need you, you're important, and you're the principal. <laughs> it's hard to grow up into maturity. Some people feel like life is kind of backwards. You've heard the old saying of Oscar Wilde that youth is wasted on the young. So uh, it, there, used to, there was a movie uh, called The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Brad Pitt was in it, and it's a story of a guy who was born old, and he grows younger as time goes on. Robert Benson actually advocates that, thinks that the reverse way of living is perfect. He wrote this, I think the life cycle is all backwards. You should die first, get that out of the way, then live 20 years in an old age home. You get kicked out when you're too young. You get a retirement gift and you go to work. You work 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. You go to college until you're ready for high school. You go to grade school. You become a little child. You play. You have no responsibilities. You become a little baby. You go back into the womb. You spend your last nine months floating and you finish off as a gleam in your parents' eye. You know, even though life is understood backwards, you have to live it forward. So what does it mean to grow into the maturity that Paul dreams for them to have and for us to have? The first thing he warns about is don't swap your faith for fads. Don't swap your faith for the latest fad that's coming through. 2,000 years ago, the church, the early church, was very susceptible to outside influence, right? I mean, did you realize that when this letter was written to the Christians, the Gospels had not even been written yet? They didn't have books of the sayings of Jesus. They didn't even have the Gospels. So they were, they were young, the church was young, and, and he says, you don't want to get blown about by the winds of time. They were susceptible to the, the current reigning philosophies of the day, Gnosticism, Platonism, Stoicism, the, 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 the main philosophies of the day, and he doesn't want to get them polluted by these things. So he says, don't get just whipped around by the latest fads that are out there. The summer before I went to high school was the summer, the quote, summer of love, when all the hippies descended on San Francisco and that whole movement began. And um, 
Even in boring Phoenix, we had hippies. We had hippies there, and um, that it exploded. And there was a there was a little splinter group, part of the uh, of that hippie group. There was a group called the Jesus Freaks, and I was a Jesus freak. What you had to do to be a Jesus freak was you had to grow your hair really long. You had to grow a beard. Some of us kept them. Um, you had to have bad-looking jeans with holes in it. You know, sandals, and carry your Bible and have your Bible study out in the park. That's what you did to be a Jesus. It was a total fad. Total fad here and then gone. And then it was follow what we had the new age fad. Everybody had to have crystals and do all this kind of stuff. And then there was the, the charismatic fad where people were speaking in tongues. There was the praise music fad where people traded in the great hymns of the church for little tiny songs that had three words and 11 verses that were endlessly repeated. Ditties that had the theological nourishment of a packet of sweet and low. Um, and so all of those were fads. And, and Paul says, don't, don't buy into fads. Just stay with the basics of the gospel. That's what's all you need in life. Don't swap your faith for the emptiness of fads. And then we need to learn in our, for spiritual maturity to live out of our mind. One of my favorite films is The Bucket List where Edward, played by Jack Nicholson, and Carter, played by Morgan Freeman, are both diagnosed as terminally ill. They've got about a year to live. So they compile a list of all the things that they've always wanted to do before they kick the bucket. The bucket list. And they set about doing those things. And in one scene, Edward and Carter are on their way to Europe in a private jet. Both men look out the window together the stars, it's really one of God's good ones, Carter says. So you think a being of some sort did all this, Edward says? Carter says, don't, you don't? Referring to his illness, Edward replies, you mean, do I believe if I look up in the sky and promise this or that, that the biggie will make all of this go away? Meaning his cancer. Well, then 95% of the people on earth are wrong, Carter says. Edward sm smugly fires back. If life has taught me anything, it's that 95% of the people are always wrong. It's called faith, Carter says. So what do you believe, Carter asks. I resist all beliefs. No big bang, no random universe. We live, we die, Edward says, and the wheels on the bus go round and round. But what if you're wrong? I'd love to be wrong. If I'm wrong, I win. Carter chuckles and says, I'm not sure it works like that. You know, Carter was smart. He knew that faith is caught and not taught. He knew that it was a choice. Some people get it, some people don't. Now the really good news is this though. If you make the wrong choice, and Paul tells us this in chapter two of Ephesians, we're saved by grace, not our own works. So if you make the wrong choice to ignore God in your life, the good news is that God still chooses you. You may not choose God, but that's not ultimately what matters. What matters is that God, through Christ, has chosen you and given you the gift of grace. God takes us away from nothing in this world and promises to go with us through everything and in the end to make something new right at the spot where we die. All of this not because of how much we believe, 
but because of how much God believes in us. And then we need for spiritual maturity to get rid of false images of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is handcrafted. It's not mass-produced. A lot of people think there is just some general formula or blueprint for how growth happens. It's not true. What would feed a mouse would starve an elephant. What would grow an orchid would drown a cactus. We all have commonalities, but there are different ways that we express these things. We need to find the unique conditions that will enable us to grow spiritually. I've noticed this in, in looking at different Christians in terms of their spiritual growth. There are some people who are really good at being contemplative, meditative. About They're able to sit quietly and to pray and to meditate and, and do that kind of stuff. And they really grow and are nurtured by that. But I know a bunch of other Christians who have ADD. And they can't sit for five minutes. They're always getting up doing stuff. They're, they're going around, moving around, doing all this kind of stuff. Well, for them... Their spirituality is one of action, of doing. For the contemplative, it's one of just being. Each person has their own way through their own personality to grow into spiritual maturity. It's not all the same. We don't have to all do it the same way. The other false image of spiritual growth is that we become a totally different person when we become a Christian. The myth of the 180 degrees change. One of the things I just love about Netflix is that I get to watch movies that I saw a long time ago, and when I watch them, it's like a new movie to me. I don't remember half of the movie, and so it's like a brand new thing. And so I recently got to watch a movie from 1983, Tender Mercies, with Robert Duvall, who plays a country western singer, one of my favorite characters. He's there, he's a country western singer. He gets married to this gal who has a 10-year-old boy, and it's time for the boy to be baptized in the Baptist church, you know, by immersion there and doing that. And it turns out that Robert Duvall hasn't been baptized, so they decide they're going to do it together. They're both going to get baptized, and they do in the service, and they're in the truck, and they're driving home from the church, and the kid says, they say after you're baptized that you're brand new that you're a whole new person. Do you feel brand new? Robert Duvall looks in the rearview mirror and says, not yet, not yet. You don't feel brand new. It doesn't happen that way. It takes a while. John Erpberg said that some things will not change no matter how much you grow spiritually. Your raw material, your basic wiring, your metabolism, your DNA, they just get redirected. I mean, think about Paul, our author of this letter. Here he was, he was a passionate, zealous man whose goal in life was to kill as many Christians as he could. Then he meets Jesus Christ in the dramatic incident on the road to Damascus. And he becomes a Christian. So who was he after that day? He was a passionate, zealous man who did everything he could to convert as many people to Christianity. He was the same personality. It was just his goal was redirected. It changed. So when you become a Christian, it doesn't change everything about your personality. You just have a different goal, 
a different place to put your energy. It's important to know that I read about a woman who kept a spiritual journal. She wrote down the things that she was struggling with. There were three main things in her life she was struggling with spiritually. She came back to that journal 10 years later, and when she read it, she realized that the same three things were the issues that she was still dealing with in her life. The good news is that when you were created, God didn't just say it was good. He said it was very, very good. The last thing that Paul says to us is you've got to learn how to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Because sometimes truth, when it's not wrapped in love, is pretty painful and difficult. I read the story of a couple by the name of Herman and Mary. Mary had inherited a bunch of money from her parents' estate. They bought a new car and they were driving in it. Mary said, you know, Herman, if it weren't for my money, we wouldn't have this new car. She said, you know, Herman, if it weren't for my money, we wouldn't be able to buy that new house. Later on, she said, hey, you know, Herman, if it weren't for my money, we wouldn't have that flat screen TV in the entertainment center. So finally exasperated, Herman said, you know, Mary, if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here either. Now, that's the truth, but it's not wrapped in love, is it? <laughs> we got to find a way to speak the truth in love. And it's hard, because you, you don't want to sugarcoat things, but you always want to have the truth when you speak it. You don't want to have somebody left lying bleeding on the floor after you've told them the truth. You want it to be in love, so they can hear it. That's the only way that they can hear it. You know, Richard Rohr says that one of the big myths of our culture is that marriage is the answer to people's problems. Instead, marriage reveals our problems. Marriage makes us aware of our need to grow, of our need to forgive, our need to share, our need to die to ourselves. One of my favorite novelists died a few years back, John Updike. And one of the reasons I really like him is that, um, well, I like him because he was a Presbyterian. Uh, and he went to church. And so whenever he wrote about ministers or churches, it was dead on. And that's hard to do, because most authors who aren't participating, they write about it, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't ring true. But he always rang true with his characters in his novels like that. And uh, he, toward the very end of his life, he wrote a little essay, a little book called Self-Consciousness, which were his essays on various aspects of his life. Uh, and one of them was on his faith. And here's what he said. What small faith I have has given me what artistic courage I have. My theory was that God already knows everything and cannot be shocked. And so only truth is useful. Only truth can be built upon. Remember this when you pray. God already knows everything and cannot be shocked. So when you pray, you better tell the truth. Don't make up stuff. If you want a Ferrari, don't pray for a Toyota because it sounds better. God knows. So you tell the truth. 
You tell the truth because only the truth is useful. But our job is to find some way to wrap it in love. You know, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And the only way that people can know the truth is if we wrap it in enough love that they can actually hear the truth from us. Paul says, don't swap your faith for fads. Get rid of the false images of spiritual growth and speak the truth in love. He says we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way unto him who is the head, unto Christ. Amen.
thanks to God now as we pray together the words of the prayer of thanksgiving that's printed here in the bulletin. God, we recognize together that you are worthy, worthy of our worship, of our love, of our lives. We also recognize that you are worthy of our best gifts. So we give today with hearts overflowing with gratitude. It is a joy to give back to you, to honor you with our money, to bless you for having blessed us. Take these gifts and use them to bring great glory to your name and hope for your children. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sisters, I remind you that as you leave this place, you go forth as representatives and ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. So live your life this week in such a way that wherever you are, when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>